Good evening. We are thankful for your attendance this evening and the opportunity to be together. We hope that this little thing works tonight. I need to stand like this. Hey, there we go. All right. Makes my life a little bit easier. We are glad you are here this evening. Looking forward to staying together for a few moments. I do want to mention at the beginning here, again, that we will be having a, a meeting in just a few moments about our last leaders program, sort of a kickoff for that. And if you are interested in being a part of that, we would love to have you here with us this, uh, this evening. There's some food that's been provided. Uh, I think the ladies retreat had a little bit extra. We appreciate them for giving us some of that uh, so we can enjoy a little bit of that. But we appreciate, um, we appreciate your attendance. If you've got any questions about the program, we'd love for you to hang around for a few moments afterwards so that we can discuss that with you uh, here this evening. Appreciate uh, so much uh, all of our attendees, especially if anyone's visiting with us. Please make sure and grab a card. We'll give you a card in the in the lobby and get some information uh, from you and get you one of our brochures. And we want to uh, have a record of your attendance. And we are so thankful, especially that you have come our way this evening. Uh, the lesson this evening is a little bit different. Uh, I did not have any notes. I think this is maybe one of the first times I didn't provide any, any blanks or spaces for you. When I sent to Faith, she called me and said she didn't exactly understand the breakdown. If the, the question, who's watching you, went with the morning or the evening, or if that was the, the morning or the evening topic or whatever, and then I see where she went in and added a little thing towards the bottom. That doesn't have anything to do with the lesson, but that's all right. It's there for our encouragement as well. Uh, so I, I, you may be a little confused exactly what that's about tonight. One of the uh, members even stopped me this morning and said, is this like a report, maybe a report on, on you know, hurricane relief or, or something of that nature? Uh, and you know, I said, no, it's not that at all. I'd like to share with you some information uh, about something else, a lesson that I have, had done uh, previously. Um, but, uh, so there's a question about exactly what tonight's lesson is. Uh, also, I did talk to Charles, and I think we got a bulb out over here. So uh, we considered roping off this side of the auditorium, making everybody sit over here, but we didn't figure that would work. Uh, so you guys are okay for tonight, uh, or, or vice versa here, but uh, hopefully we'll have our, our projector up and running maybe by next Sunday. We appreciate Charles' uh, help with that. Uh, but the Nashville statement, I don't know if you're aware, um, have ever heard of this phrase before or this statement. Sometimes it's interesting how things in the news catch uh, fire maybe or, or what we would say go viral today uh, and, and sort of take a hold in the news. Sometimes those things are in a 24-hour news cycle. Sometimes they're not. Uh, you know, I find it interesting as, as I was looking at some of this again and reminding myself of some of this. I had done this less than a year ago when this was actually released. Um, but, you know, mentioning some of the other things that have taken place over the course of time. You know, different conventions or councils that have taken place. Uh, you know, I wonder if the folks who were involved with that really considered what that was or, or at what place it would hold in history. I think a lot of times they didn't. I, I'm not here tonight to, to share this Nashville statement with you and endorse it in any particular way or say that it's going to revolutionize or change things. But as we oftentimes do with lessons in our sermons, the idea is just to try to keep, uh, you know, some type of perspective on things. Sometimes our lessons will come straight from the Bible, a particular story, uh, such as we did a few uh, months ago about the youngest missionary there with the story of Naaman, and that's it, straight from the Bible. Sometimes, even like this morning, we take a little example of something, such as a movie or, or credits, something like that, and sort of turn it into a spiritual thought. And then sometimes we just pull something straight from the news. Uh, sometimes that's a benefit to us. Sometimes it doesn't mean a whole lot, sometimes it does, but maybe as I try to do for you and for myself, just provoke our thoughts a little bit. 
When we think about this Nashville statement, I know you can't see there, I can't even really see here, but I think on that screen there is a picture, an outline of a man and a woman. Sort of like you would see on the front of a restroom if you went to a hospital or somewhere or a store or something like that. Uh, just an outline of a body, a man's restroom and a women's restroom. Something along the lines that you might see. Because this Nashville statement had something to do with that. It was drafted actually by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. That's a thing that exists. It has for some time. Uh, it actually sort of comes out of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, if you will, uh, the Ethics and Religious, uh, excuse me, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, and, and that's kind of who adopted this and put this together. It was actually signed by 150, and you'll see in quotation marks there the term, evangelical religious leaders. Now, depending on what news channel you watch or where you get your news or what you consider certain terms to be, uh, evangelical religious leaders may be uh, something that you've heard of before or used as a particular term, uh, and maybe it's not. But that is sort of the way it was presented in the news about the time this was released. Now, the Nashville Statement was not actually the first statement that was ever released by this Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. In 1987, December of 1987, they released what was called the Danvers, that's D-A-N-V-E-R-S, Danvers Statement, because it was put together in Danvers, Massachusetts, and it actually had to do with gender roles. Again, I mentioned seeing the picture on the screen that you may not have been able to, but a, of an outline of a man and a woman. Those, that particular statement dealt with gender roles and, and what people thought about that. Notice, in 1987. Here we are in 2018, and I think a lot of you would agree that that might have changed even since then. Well, the Nashville statement was obviously drafted then in Nashville, Tennessee. It was released on August 29th of last year, and again, out of this council, out of this convention, it all came forth, and it sort of hit the news for a little while, and it sort of, you know, had a little traction. It actually even had a response. Everybody's got, every uh, town has to have a statement. The, the, there was the community, uh, what we would call, I guess you might call the LBGTQ uh, community, referenced a response that was called the Denver like Denver, Colorado, the Denver Statement. So everybody has to have a statement here, sort of going back and forth on these different ideas. But the Nashville Statement was released last year based upon a convention, this meeting of this council in Nashville, Tennessee. If you go online and you look for this statement, it's got a preamble and 14 articles. I mentioned to you a few names that had to do and, and actually put their name to this statement. A few of these names may be familiar to you. A lot of us know James Dobson, who is a founder and sort of the guy who runs Focus on the Family, a very good institute as far as promoting some biblical ideas. I would dare say that we would not agree on many of, of, of uh, th uh, many other things and some things to do with salvation, but James Dobson uh, does a very good job with helping uh, the family in our society. Albert Moeller is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. John Piper is uh, a well-known theologian even from the Chattanooga area. And Steve Gaines is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't say that to give these guys any credence or, or claim that they know it all or have it all figured out, but these are names you may have heard of. 
When this kind of thing or something like this hits the news, these are the names that people recognize because they uh, may have put something out or put out a lot of ideas or information that a lot of people know. So again, I'm not necessarily trying to to promote them or anything they say, but to share with you, this did gain some traction, certainly among certain circles, because of these leaders who were willing to put their name to the things that were included in this statement. Now, I know you're not going to be able to read that on the screen, but the preamble began with the 100th Psalm and verse number 3. Psalm 100 and verse number 3, which says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That was the verse that sort of went along with this preamble. That the Lord himself is God, and it is he who has made us. It says there, again I know most of you won't be able to read that with the small writing, but it says, evangelical Christians at the dawn of the 21st century find themselves in a period of historic transition. As Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian, it has embarked upon a massive revision of what it means to be a human being. By and large, the spirit of our age no longer discerns or delights in the beauty of God's design for human life. And many deny that God created human, uh, human beings for His glory and that His good purposes for us include our personal and physical design as male and female. It is common to think that human identity as male and female is not part of God's beautiful plan, but is rather an expression of an individual's autonomous preferences. The pathway to full and lasting joy through God's good design for his creatures is thus replaced by the path of short-sighted alternatives that sooner or later ruin life and dishonor God. Now you may agree with all that. You may agree with some of that. You may agree with part of what is said there, but you begin to understand and formulate an idea of what this Nashville statement had to do with. Now the question that logically comes next is, so what? What does that mean? What does it matter to us? Should we even care about this? I'd be interested to know how many of you recognize or remember that this was even discussed. Again, it gained some traction nationally, more so even here in the, in the state of Tennessee because of the fact that it originated from Nashville. But, but a lot of people, by and large, just let it go by. They weren't even aware that this took place. And you know, like a lot of things, that's okay. But does it matter to us? The first thing that I saw about it, and it was on that Tuesday night, and kind of was released that Tuesday morning again, picked up some traction in the news cycle. And I, I was uh, sitting around at home on Tuesday night, and the first thing I saw about it was on Twitter, the social media site Twitter. Jack Wilkie is uh, a preacher from Texas. He writes for the Focus Press, uh, organization, magazine, some. But this is what he had to say. He said this is the number one trending topic, and tons of people are condemning the Nashville statement. Not a single one of them pointing to the Bible to explain why. Now, again, this is just a fellow preacher that I I follow, but as I opened up my social media on this day and began to kind of browse around and see what was going on in the news, this was the first thing. I didn't know what the Nashville Statement was. I had to go further and find out exactly what it said. But again, I began to kind of dig a little deeper and find out a little more. But I thought that's an interesting idea there. What does the Bible really have to say about it? If we want to know if this Nashville statement is worth anything, if it should matter to us, if we should have any part in promoting it, or if we we should have any part in tearing it down, what does the Bible have to say about it? 
Now tonight, I'd like to share with you a few of the articles. There are 14 articles, and we're not going to go through every one. But I would like to share with you a few of those articles tonight and think for just a moment about what the Bible has to say. The first article begins, and each article actually had something that this group would affirm and deny. Article number one said, We affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife, and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. We deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual or polygamous or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant Excuse me. We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. That's an interesting thought. What about Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24? As I said, does this even matter to us? The question is, what does the Bible have to say about it? We recall that there in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's your thought. What about Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 and 25? Again, another passage we're familiar with. That entire section there talks about marriage, Christ and the church. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. If we stop there, we might have a problem. If that's all that the Apostle Paul by inspiration said, when we go down to verse 25, the Bible continues on and says, Husbands, Love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, this article number one, this affirmation about God designing marriage, I would agree with that. But I don't agree with it because John Piper or Albert Moeller or anybody else says it. I agree with it because God says it. In Genesis chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 5, I agree with it because, and I would affirm that same statement, because that is the picture that the Bible paints when it comes to marriage. Not some article. It wouldn't matter if it's the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution or whatever of Russia or London or England or wherever. What does the Bible have to say about it? You know what was interesting at the time this particular statement came out, and again, you can find all of it online, but at the time it came out, part of the reason I put this lesson together was at the, at the time, there were no verses included in it at all. Now, these folks have, a, these are Bible-believing people, I think, you know, that's what they promote themselves to be. I don't think that they think it on their own and think that it's completely just because they made it up. I think they agree with the fact that the Bible says it, but I found it very interesting that they didn't actually put forth that idea at all. Now, as I was doing more research and printing some of this off again to have in front of me for tonight, I noticed that the statement, if you go online and print it, has an addendum now at the end with all the Bible verses included. And I'm thankful for that because I would hope, again, that anybody considering these things would not just take it for whether or not any of these guys who were listed said it or whether or not I said it. It has to do with what God had to say in His Word, including with this idea of marriage. Article number three, we affirm that God created Adam and Eve, the first human beings in his own image, equal before God as persons and distinct as male and female. We deny that the divinely ordained differences between male and female render them unequal in dignity or worth. Now again, I would, I would submit to you, 
I'm not trying to bring credence to these people who signed this or exactly with these articles without Bible approval, but you have to agree this is in the news every single day we pick up a newspaper or turn on the television. The idea that male and female are equal or that we both have dignity or worth, there's lots of guys on trial right now because of what somebody might have said they had done even recently or even years ago. I don't stand before you to claim to be judge or, or know what's right in every single case. But I challenge you that these things are relevant today. And to make a statement such as that may not seem like it's such a big deal to us, but it is when we think about the world around us. But it's important that we consider what the Bible has to say. Again, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, a passage very familiar there as we think about the very beginning. Then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's what God designed. That was God's plan. And that's exactly what we need to be considering even with all that is going on in the news today. And that's difficult. Don't get me wrong. We talked about it as something else we discussed in our Bible class this morning here in adult classroom number one. But it's a tough, tough thing in our world today with a lot of people who will say, you can't tell me what's right, you can't tell me what's wrong. When we try to find a foundation, we have to come to agreement. We have to come to terms that the Bible is the truth. The Bible is what we will stand upon. Whether that is marriage, whether that is the role of men and women, not just in the church, Maybe not even just in worship, but in our everyday lives. God created them male and female. He created us equal, yes. Equal, an equal chance at salvation. Some equal chances to serve in various ways. But we need to understand that that's what God had in mind. And he tells us exactly what we need to know, including there in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. Article number 11. Article number 11 reads like this. We affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about another, one another as male or female. Let me read that one more time. We affirm our duty to speak the truth in love at all times, including when we speak to or about one another as male and female. We deny any obligation to speak in such ways that dishonor God's design of his image bearers as male and female. Now, I find this one interesting because this is not something that you hear a lot of folks say sometimes. And this is actually the route that a lot of people would go when they try to tell us that we can't claim that there's things that, uh, that things are right and wrong, that there is a truth, a standard that we can go by. But yes, even amongst all the rhetoric, even amongst all the hateful language that sometimes takes place, we have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. Perhaps you're familiar with that exact passage there in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, where Paul writes, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, But, we come to verse 15, but, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. That's what we should be striving for. Yes, speaking the truth, but speaking the truth in love. Now, some of you participate in social media. Some of you don't. Either way is fine by me. But certainly, we understand that, that our world today has a, a habit, uh, has reputation, if you will, of folks being able to sit back and type on a keyboard or type out some words without taking any type of ownership. We even have folks who can, of course, create an account online that doesn't even bear their name, where they can write things anonymously. They can say whatever they want to say. And there's a lot of hateful, hateful speech about things. And you would be sadly mistaken if you think that's just the people that you disagree with. There are a lot of people that we would even agree with who sometimes do not speak the truth in love. I agree with this statement. That we should strive to speak the truth in love at all times, but not just because, again, any particular person or any of these 150 people that signed this statement said it, but because Paul said it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we speak the truth in love at all times. And that's that's not all. Uh, You know, we sometimes pick that out there in verse 15, but I use verses 11 through 15 because when we put it all together, when we think about the context of what is said, there is more to it. There's the idea, of course, of growing. We mature into those things. Someone who is immature is the one who cannot control their tongue, who says things in a hateful way because they don't know any better or can't even control themselves. And it ends in verse 15 there with he who is the head, Christ. Are we trying to be Christ-like? We'll come back to that in just a moment. The last article reads like this, article number 14. We affirm that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. And that through Christ's death and resurrection, forgiveness of sins and eternal life are available to every person who repents of sin and trusts in Christ alone as Savior, Lord, and supreme treasure. We deny that the Lord's arm is too short to save or that any sinner is beyond His reach. There's just some interesting thoughts there. I would agree as well that Christ's death and His burial and His resurrection has to do with our salvation, that He came into the world to save sinners, to seek and to save the lost, that we do need to repent of sin, that we do need to trust in Christ. But again, where is the Bible in any of this? Do they give any kind of background to talk about what a person must do to become a Christian, to be added to the church? I was reminded of a couple passages First of all, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sounds pretty plain and simple to me. But Paul continues on, of course, to say, Of whom I am chief. Yeah, Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. We don't deny that. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4? Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. We talk about that word a lot, the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. By which also you are saved, 
If you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Beginning in verse 3, Paul says, For I delivered to you first... Of, uh, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's what we're asking for. That's what we're talking about according to what the Bible has to say. When we think about this af- affirmation that Christ Jesus is the way, we agree upon that. Now, as I said to you at the very beginning, I don't promote this statement as some type of of thing that we should adopt and put before all of us. I don't promote any of the men or any of the people that signed this as having it all figured out. In fact, as we come to the conclusion of this, I would tell you that I think I would disagree with a lot of them on several different things that I would love an opportunity to discuss. I don't think they're going to have to hear what I have to say. That's a different thing for a different time. But it brings the point about that I've tried to make through this entire lesson, this entire thought process... We need to understand what the Bible has to say. The folks who drafted this need to understand what the Bible has to say. The people in the world who might read this need to understand what the Bible has to say. Now again, a year ago when I presented this lesson, I I would tell you that there was no Bible references anywhere in any of this besides the preamble, the verse from Psalm 100 that we looked at. And I'll give them credit for going back and, and adding that. Uh, to part of it later but I would submit to you I think they're still missing a little bit when it comes to the idea of salvation but those were just I think about four of the articles that were listed here so as we think about this I I would ask you so what now again what does it matter you know what does it even mean to us should we even care And, and this was the phrase I think I saw online in the days after this statement was released and someone said you know this should not come as a shock to us Because Christians should say Christ-like things. Christians should say Christ-like things. And when those in the world who might claim to be part of the LBGTQ or or whatever movement or or along those lines, that they they throw their hands up and act shocked that Christians would say Christ-like things. I appreciate the statements that are made here to, to an extent. I appreciate the willingness to sign and say that we agree that, that these things are true. But it shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. If we're living our lives in such a way every day that we're following after Christ, sooner or later we're going to say that we affirm that marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Sooner or later we're going to say that male and female are equal and have an equal opportunity for salvation. We're going to say that we should speak the truth in love and yes, that salvation is found in Christ Jesus. None of these things should come as a shock to us. And I would like to encourage you this evening, as I attempted to do, to take a look at them and think about what the Bible has to say in regard to these things. As we conclude tonight, I would ask you this question. How can we continue to show the truths, not just that are found here in these articles, but also the truths of Christ, of God the Father, and of His Word? Again, getting back to what the Bible has to say about the things that are discussed, not only here, but in every aspect of our life. How can we continue to show these truths? Well, we can study them. We can read. We can practice. We can be informed. I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me if you ever heard of this or not. I think it's interesting because it's out there in the news and, and has been. 
But we need to be informed on what the Bible has to say about not only these 14 matters, maybe, or 14 articles, but everything else we come in contact with. That's when we are prepared. That's when we are ready. That's when we are able to make a stand and stand up for the truths that are found in God's Word. Tonight, that begins with us understanding what God has to say about salvation. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never become a child of God. You've never repented of your sins in the way that Jesus told us that we have to repent of our sins. You've never confessed the name of Jesus before an audience gathered together that he is the son of God, that he did die on the cross and give his life. Maybe you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins. If you're here this evening and you've never done that, we would, we would be singing in a moment to encourage you to consider making that great commitment. Maybe you've done that, but you've wandered away. You've allowed sin to enter your life. and You need the forgiveness of God. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together this evening. You don't have to leave. You don't have to leave with worry on your mind about where your eternal place would be if the Lord were to return even this night. Sometimes we consider it when things happen in our lives. We should consider it every day what our relationship is with God. Are you in a right relationship Maybe you're here tonight and need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you. It's why, part of the reason why we're gathered together to encourage one another. But whether you need to become a Christian or come back to Him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing. <laughs>